among you. Uh, today is the last of our seven deadly sins, right? So this is seven out of seven. You guys have done so good at uh, staying with me through these. Uh, and this is the perfect one to end with on a day like today. I mean, think of all the things we've going on that we can deal with gluttony. And that's, of course, what this sermon is about, is about gluttony. And, and, and you know, full, full disclosure, I was actually more, I, I am more nervous about preaching this kind of sermon than I was some of the other ones, because I feel like uh, some of us, this may be the most offensive to us. I, I don't know, but um, November's here, and that means Thanksgiving, right? And we're having a fellowship meal today, and we're having the Lord's Supper today. And so I could not have planned this any better. In fact, God planned it, and that's why it's the best. And so as we look at today, there's so many things. I mean, in Corinthians, it talks about how they would get together, and they were supposed to be having the Lord's Supper, and instead they would get drunk, or somebody wouldn't get enough to eat. And he's like, don't you have houses to eat in? And then we're going to have a fellowship meal today, and so we're probably going to have a bunch of leftovers, because we're all going to feel convicted over today's message. And, and, uh, and, and, and then, of course, you, you know, November is Thanksgiving, and so as we go to that, we'll all be thinking about this, I hope, as we carve into those turkeys we're asking for turkey baskets and all those things. I mean, God is just so good at putting things together at the perfect timing, isn't he? And, uh, and, and in fact, this is even seven, number seven of the seven deadly sins. So if you're into numbers and stuff too, I mean, man, this couldn't, and today is the sixth though, right? Oh, we were off just by that one. If today was only the seventh, we would have been batting a thousand. It would have been really good. But of course, uh, this is what we're talking about today is about gluttony. Uh, the, the verse, uh, now if you're a note taker, on the back is a bunch of verses, okay? Uh, that's where we're going to be traveling today. I'm not going to have them on the screen. So you are either going to have to just trust me or have fast fingers or look them up later, okay? Uh, so I invite you to, to try and keep up with me this morning. But the proverb uh, that I want to take us to is this. It says in Proverbs 23, 1 through 3, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now, I want to just camp on here just for a minute before we, we uh, define gluttony and before we pray for this Sunday's message. It actually says in the text, and we can't sugarcoat this, it actually says it would be better to be dead than to give yourself over to selfish appetites. That's a pretty powerful statement in the word of God this morning. Throughout scripture, in other places, we see a kind of a brother-sister relationship with gluttony and drunkenness. Now, depending on the translation that you like to use, they'll use gluttony or drunkenness, or they'll use words like uh, uh, dissipation or licentiousness. Or um, there's another word that starts with an I that escapes me right now because I don't have it written down. But in the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, this word is zo zoalel. Uh, not like kalal, but zoalel. And this word means to shake out or to squander. Hence, in the New Testament, we get Jesus telling us some parables like the prodigal son who asks for his inheritance and then goes and squanders all of it. That's this idea. This word means uh, this debauchery. This, and, and in other times, it's 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 uh, kind of interpreted as wasters of their own bodies. 
In another commentary, this, this word is described, zol, zolel denotes a profligate, which means, and I had to look it up too, which means uh, one who makes light of anything that is precious and then so squanders it. So, as we talk about gluttony, we glut ourselves on technology, on gadgets and accessories, on entertainment, on movies, sports, music, television shows, social media. We glut ourselves on relationships, on news and politics, on comfort and amenities, and yes, food and drink. We squander and waste our talents, our finances, our intelligence, the God-given opportunities, our time, and maybe most importantly, the power that we have been given by the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus. And so today, as we talk about gluttony, this is more than just a waistline. This is more than just your glycemic index. This is more than just mere food consumption. Now, many of us could probably eat less. Many of us could stand to lose weight. Many of us could exercise more. All of that's true. But today's message, we have to be aware that this is talking about much more and something much deeper than our rumbly, grumbly, poo-bear, tumbly bellies. So as we talk about gluttony, would you please join with me in prayer? God, our Father in heaven, we would ask that you would be glorified by our meeting together today, uh, by this message today, even by this meal today, both the chili and the juice and wafers. God, we ask that you would help us to come to you in repentance of our self-indulgent, squandering hearts, and that by your good grace we might spiritually feast upon your word, that your goodness and your gospel of life would make its way known today. And we ask that you would have your way with us. It's, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at gluttony, I, I want to cover firstly then the character of gluttony. So again, if you're a note taker, that's all that you're going to have is the, is the blanks to fill in. And we're going to go through this message quickly. And if you want to see all the verses that I've looked at, I, I've got them on the back of the notes. You can get that now or you can get that online later, um, whatever you'd like to do. But the character of gluttony, I've got here uh, Philippians 3.19. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in the, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. And so in that, Philippians, we see that their God is their belly. That's the character of gluttony. And also they glory in their shame and their mind is set on earthly things. And so gluttony, as the character of it, firstly, it is unquenchable. And the reason it's unquenchable, it's insatiable. It's never satisfied. Why? Because it's sin. Brother and sister, all sin is never satisfied. We all tend to think, oh, I'll have this much of whatever that sin is and no more. And we always end up going back for seconds and thirds and fourths. That's the nature of sin, of all sin. Proverbs 27, 20 says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Uh, think of everything we've ever experienced in all of our life. 
They were not satisfied with merely a wheel. Instead, they had to put a V8 engine on it, right? They weren't satisfied with the wheel and the V8 engine. Instead, they had to strap a few wings to it and see if they could get it to take off, right? And that wasn't good enough either. Instead, they also had to put a bigger V8 on it and see if they could make it all the way to that big, shiny, white thing in the sky at night, and so on and so forth. Now, some of that is great. It's great in some regards that we're never satisfied because it drives us to continue to be better. And I pray that God would use the eyes of man not being satisfied on our own holiness. But often it's not the case. Often it's our sin that is unquenchable. Proverbs thirty fifteen: the leech has two daughters. Their names are give and give. Three things are never set aside. Four, never say enough. In the rest of that proverb, you'll have to see what those things are. I, I invite you to do so. But one thing is for sure, sin is never satisfied. In fact, there's only one thing that does satisfy, beloved, and that's Christ Jesus. You've heard it said, we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and instead what we try to do is stuff it full of all these other things. Sin and gluttony itself is also unrestrained. It's indulgent. It lacks restraint. I know I've seen that in my own life. Again, we always say things like, well, I'll only go this far and no farther. And yet, it tends to get out of control. 1 Timothy 5, 6, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. 1 John two fifteen. do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, the opposite of unrestraint is the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. It is just the way that it is, that as humans, as sinful beings, our sin knows no bounds. I, I, I'm here to tell you that, that if, if you think that you know how bad you are, then you have no idea about the holiness of God, about the righteous standards that he has, even where you're at right now, and you misunderstand God's restraining grace upon your life. I believe that all of us are capable of Ted Bundy-like lifestyles if it were not for the restraining grace of God. And as we think about gluttony as a whole, this might be one of the biggest sins in America today. And again, not just, we're not just talking about the waistline. We're talking about our unrestrained squandering of all that God has given us. So lastly, in the character of gluttony then, gluttony is a usurper. It is intoxicating. It carries us away. Esther 2.6 says, Who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away? Three times in that one verse, it talks about those captives who were carried away. Now rest assured that none of them went willingly. That is always the case when it comes to slavery, and sinful spiritual slavery is no differently. It's, it's a very sneaky thing that will creep into all the corners of our heart, and before we know it, it is taking us to places we never wanted to go. Proverbs twenty three thirty one: do not look at wine when it is red and it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Why does he say that? Because he knows that that initial intoxication of that, that, in, that invitation of it will then draw you deeper. James 1, 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. 
Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, sin is a tyrant. Sin is a king that we did not vote for, and he is a tyrant. He is a slave trader, and he trades in our own souls. So the character of gluttony is unquenchable, it is unrestrained, and it is a usurper. And as we're going to talk about a a slight play on words, the consumption of gluttony then, what does that look like? Because we often think with all of our sins that it's us that is doing the sinning. But we sometimes forget that in, in cases like this, it's actually the sin that is then consuming us. And so as we look at the consumption of gluttony upon us, I have some illustrations of this. Uh, firstly, the one that I'm going to bring out, I'm sure that you, as you study this, can find more, and, and I invite you to. But here are four that I want to talk about with you this morning. The first is Aaron and Israel, the making of this golden calf. If you remember the story at all, Moses was up. We just talked about this in Light Bears. That's why it's fresh upon my mind. But uh, Moses went up. He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. So that's an awfully long time. And so just like any of us, if somebody were to just leave for 40 days and 40 nights, they begin to wonder what is going on with Moses. So they come to Aaron and they say, hey, we need for you to make us a new God. So he says, okay, give me all your gold and, and, and we'll, we'll make this thing up. And it says that in Exodus 32, 5 through 6, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a, a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. He even calls it the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, and that is a nice interpretation of what Scripture means when it says that. And so we see the consumption of gluttony. Was that not? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, we're not there yet. You just wait. Hold on. So don't we see then, this is what they wanted originally too when they left Egypt? Oh, you've taken us out to starve in the wilderness. It would have been better had we been in slavery. At least our bellies were full there. Another one is King Belshazzar Belshazzar, and the writing on the wall in Daniel 5. King Belshazzar, man, that's trouble with me today, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. And the rest of the story is he was doing this and they were getting drunk, yes, but again, what I told you in text, drunkenness and gluttony go hand in hand. In fact, here, here's, here's something to think about before we go down and eat chili. Uh, maybe you guys don't know this, but uh, Roman parties, a lot of times, this is what they would look like, okay? Uh, they would have a raised platform that you would recline on, and so it was a semicircle of a raised platform, and the host of the house and the guests of the house would all be against these, uh, they'd be laying on this raised platform, and the reason it was a raised platform was so that the servants could bring food to you at, at you know, servant serving level. And so they'd bring food and they'd bring drink. And what you would do at these Roman parties is you would gorge yourself full of food and full of drink until you vomited. And that's the other reason why it was down there on the floor. That's where the servants walk. So who cares if they're walking through vomit, right? And they would just continue to bring food and to bring drink and you would eat until you retch And then, of course, your stomachs would be empty, so you could eat some more until you retch, and then you'd eat some more until eventually everybody is drunk, because that gets into the bloodstream over time, right? And then the rest of the debauchery would happen. Ready to go eat chili? (laughs) But these were the kind of feasts that they were having. King Belshazzar was having this kind of gluttonous 
feast. Uh, another one is in the New Testament, and the other one is in the New Testament, the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, Jesus talks about this man uh, in Luke 16, 19 through 31 there. And in these verses, 19 through 21, it says that this rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Meanwhile, he was a lot like us Americans because he saw those outside his gates who was literally starving to death. And in my mind's eye, I even picture him walking, stepping over Lazarus to get into his home so that he could go have a feast with him and his friends. And then lastly, and the one we've kind of already talked about this morning, so I won't waste too much of your time there, is the prodigal son. Again in Luke. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered it. He squandered his property in reckless living. So, I gave you a sneak peek accidentally. Uh, the, the consumption of gluttony leads to squandering. That's what happens. This is this word to be a profligate. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you not think that we will answer for those gifts and how we use them? That's a foolish thought, brother or sister, if that's how you think. Because even while he was here, Jesus told a parable of those who were given talents. Do you remember that parable? Some was given ten, some was given five, one was given one. And the one who did nothing with it had to give an account, had to give an answer for that. And so rest assured that every good and perfect gift that is given to us from Father in heaven, if we squander, we will answer for, and gluttony is the squandering of those gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of us has received a gift to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We are being bad stewards when we neglect to do that. Now, it may come as a uh, very clear, logical progression of what we're going to talk about, right? So if the first consumption of gluttony, of the sin of gluttony, is squandering, the next is logically, then, scarcity. Because what happens when you continue to squander, you end up like this prodigal son, right? We continue to use and to use and to abuse and to abuse until eventually there's nothing left. And if you have ever had anyone in your life, or if you yourself has ever battled with any kind or form of addiction, you may know exactly what this looks like on a relational level. Because I'm here to tell you that eventually we can use and use and use people so much that eventually we find ourselves utterly alone. Proverbs 23, 21 says, For the drunkard and the glutton, there it is, they come in tandem very often, like I said, the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. It's also very interesting because a lot of us with our Baptist roots will be very quick to say, yeah, drunkenness, that's a sin. As we pull up that third plate of food, but in Scripture, they are here together. In Scripture, and what I've talked about, this is this idea of squandering. And so it's not just about our waistline. It is about how we use all of these things. So we squander, and then there is scarcity. You know, that happens in all kinds of different realms. Just think of attention deficit disorder, which apparently I had probably still have. If you've talked to me for any length of time, you know I, I do still have that, probably. But I can tell you one thing. Modern technology with cell phones don't make that any easier for our children, do they? 
instant gratification of likes or shares on social media are causing people to have deep despair. And what that is, is they're squandering their emotional selves on these devices, and then it leads to scarcity, and they cannot find any hope any other place, but that hope is in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, also according to this, as we see in these, these different things, poverty or slumber will clothe them with rags. In other situations here, we, we see that uh, then logically is gluttony leads us in consumption to sickness. You see, gluttony is a poisoning of the body, the mind, and the soul. Because all sin is a poisoning of the body, mind, and soul. Sin brings death. Remember James, what he said in there? All of us then are carried away, and eventually this is the end. Now, if we're going to talk about a strictly physicality of it, I mean, just do the math, right? America is one of the fattest nations in the world. Three in four Americans are considered overweight. 75% of us are overweight and out of shape. Diabetes has become the fastest growing disease in America. Some one million people will succumb to food-related disease or to heart or blood vessels uh, disorders this year because of that. And now, even that sin, along with all the other ones, are heralded as something wonderful. Gluttony has a dramatic effect upon our health. I have a, a quote for you by Thomas Brooks. I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas Brooks. He's, he's an older theologian. I think he's since passed away, but this is what he says. I'm going to read you the whole thing. You've got the first half there. You can read along with me if you'd like. Not audibly, please, because you're going to distract your neighbor. But many more perish by intemperance, and that's another word. That's the I word that I was looking for, by intemperance than by violence. Intemperance is the source and nurse of all diseases. More perish by suffeting than by suffering. Every intemperate person digs his own grave with his own mouth and teeth and is certainly a self-tormentor, a self-destroyer, and a self-murderer. See, gluttony, as we're talking about this morning, we need to be very clear, is not just a sickness of the body. It's a sickness of the soul. Because all of these are because of a God-shaped hole that we are seeking to fill with something else. And some people fill that hole with food. Some people fill that hole with relationships or pornography. Some people fill that with entertainment. Some people fill that with politics. Some people fill that with drugs or alcohol. Some people fill that with you name it. And we is our ingenuity as humans find some way to fill it. Sports. So what's the cure for gluttony? I'm glad you asked. And of course, of course, you're right. You can give me the Sunday school kids answer. What's the cure for gluttony, kids? That's right. You nailed it. Of course it's Jesus. But it's, but it's not just Jesus, the idea of Jesus. It's Jesus dying for that sin, for your sin. It is the idea of we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, and it's not shaped as a hole, it's shaped as a cross. And Jesus fills that. Jesus is the only place we find satisfaction, is the only place we find fulfillment, is the only place we find fullness. And so the cure for gluttony, and I've been cute this morning, is with an acronym EAT. 
Philippians 3, 18 through 21 says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. That's the first half, right? Verse 20, here it is. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so since that's the case, Psalm 34, 8 says, well then taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So we must eat something. In the first Part of this is E is to evaluate your habits then. Because like I said, this is not just about our waistline, but it's also not not about our waistline, right? There is nothing better for a person in Ecclesiastes 2.24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw it was from the hand of our God. So with a clear conscience this morning, you may go down and have chili or two bowls of chili or three bowls of chili. But I want for you to evaluate your habits and understand that maybe it's okay for you to have three bowls of chili, but maybe you are causing your brother or sister in Christ who just heard this message and now they are causing to stumble because of your three bowls of chili. Or maybe you're the brother or sister in Christ who shouldn't have three bowls of chili and you've just got to evaluate your own habits. And also we should evaluate our own habits with how we spend our time and how we glut on news, or on entertainment, or on our hobbies, or on the other things that this sermon is actually about. 1 Corinthians six twelve through 13 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, and God will destroy both the one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so what Paul is saying here, and what I am saying this morning, is we need to evaluate our habits when it comes to all kinds of sins in our lives. And then the next one of the A is to be accountable to God and others. That's what we're here for. I'm not joking when I tell you guys that what this is, is a uh, therapy session that you guys get a front row seat because I need this. I need Christ. I need my wife to rebuke me and say, you're a 38-year-old man who gluts himself on video games like a child. It's time for you to repent and grow up. And I said, you're right. (laughs) And I am happy to report by God's grace and my wife's encouragement, I have been video game free for a year or two now. I don't know. And I've got, it's amazing how much more I get done. But we need to be accountable to God and to others. 1 Corinthians 10, 30 through 31. No, we're going to skip that. We're going to go to James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And not just healed physically, but healed spiritually. That we can actually have victory over these things. My identity is in Christ. It is not in whatever sin 
disorder that I was suffering from, it is in Christ. And so then lastly, after we evaluate our habits and we're accountable to others, we need to train our body, our mind, and our spirit. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your bodies. Matthew 6.16, when you fast. Not if you fast. That was revelation to me when I heard that. When you fast, Christian, because that's what Christians do. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others, and it's implied here, and that so they may be pitied or thought of holier than they really are. But truly, he says, I say to you, they have received their reward. We must be in the business of training our body and our minds and our spirits because all of this is connected. You are not just Casper the ghost in heaven. You have your full body. Jesus, when he was resurrected, he had his glorified body. We are to be saved. We are to be resurrected. We are to inhabit the heavenly place with mind, body, and soul, and so for godliness, we ought to be training our mind, our body, and our soul. And so we do this by Galatians five twenty two through twenty four. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. So how do we do those things? Or 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 or, or, or let, let me tell you this way: What is the fruit of doing these things? Because I want you to do these things. So so. What's the blessed, what's in it for you? Well, I'm glad you're asking that. So what's in it for you to, 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 to put into practice what we've talked about this morning? This is what's in it for you. One, we are being transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. That's what it says. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through the disciplining of our bodies and our minds and our souls. It is through the evaluation and the accountability that we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And I cannot think of anything that we as Christians should want more than that, that we would be a true reflection of Christ, that we would reap the benefits of being a reflection of Christ. Next, if this is not enough for you, I've got three, because I'm being a good preacher with my sets of three points for you. We are also service ready for ministry work. When we are trained, when we are under self-control, we are ready for action. In the military, there was something called service ready. And we had to, every year, at least every year, we had to bring out our chem suits. If you don't know what a chem suit is, I'm about to explain it to you. We had a gas mask that was part of the chem suit with a hood. 
and we had our chem suit itself, and then we had little sheets of paper and little like things, uh, radon detectors or whatever they were, and, and pieces of paper that would, if uh, chemical agents would spill on it, they would change different colors. And so every single year, we would have to practice uh, putting on our gear and also helping those who were in the field who would then be incapacitated getting their gear on. And just like in the airplane, right, you always put yours on first, because if you pass out, you're not able to help anybody else, right? But this is what we would do, service ready. And so we would try this, and, and we would put our face masks on, and we would hold on to it, and we would try to puff and suck air in through the outsides. We would see if it would fog up. We would check our canisters to make sure that they were actually okay. This always scared me completely because I thought to myself, I'm not sure how safe these are. I think these might just be to make me feel good as I lay down and die. I, I don't know. I don't know. And I pray that I would never have to find out, and by God's grace, I never did have to find out. But this is what it is. You always have your rifle clean, right? You always have your stuff ready to go. Men in this congregation, do you have a bug out bag? Maybe you don't. This isn't me selling that to you. But if you do, is it ready? Because it ought to be, right? I mean, this is the whole point. Be ready in season and out of season. What are you going to do when you're untrained and unequipped and then somebody finally comes to you after that car accident and asks, what must I do to be saved? Are you going to fuddle through the gospel or are you going to give them the five points that they need? I don't know if there's five points. There might be four or three. It depends on how quick you are. 1 Corinthians 9, 23 through 27, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Some of you have been teasing me lately that I go to the gym. I knew that I was going to have to preach this message, so the joke's on you. <laughs> Lastly, our testimony is clear and our worship is unhindered. This is the fruit of being ready, of being disciplined, of seeing a difference. I've heard this statement, I don't know who said it, but one of the greatest hindrances to an unbelieving world is Christians who live lives that are unbelievable. And I would turn that phrase on its head and say, one of the best testimonies to an unbelieving world are Christians whose lives are truly unbelievable. Because how could you do that? I know you. I knew you when we were in high school. I, 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 I've seen what you've done. I've seen how the boss talked to you at work. How do you answer that way? I've, I've seen the way that your spouse treats you. How do you love them anyway? I've seen that person cut you off or you smack your knuckles on the radiator or you, you, you know, get gypped at the grocery store or whatever, or go back and return what, whatever it was or pay extra money that you didn't pay because they counted your change wrong. I've seen you act that way. That's unbelievable to me. Or we show up on Sunday, we look nice, we smile at one another and we walk out and then we do the things that the rest of the world are doing and that's also unbelievable. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God, because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, 
even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you were not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, my friend, gluttony is not just about our waistline. It is about our heart condition. The only way out of gluttony of the flesh is to build up our spiritual appetites. We must taste and see that the Lord is good. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He feeds us with his very body.